Here we are. Here we are. Here we go. <laughs> Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. What's up? I'm Krista. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Lindsay. Happy freaking new year, y'all. Wow. H-N-Y. Wow. 2021. I remember in 2000, we were preparing for the end of the world. Y2K. <laughs> I was babysitting. I was babysitting in oh, 2000. How nice. old were you? I think we were like that age. Nine. We weren't partying. Eighth grade. Yeah. I was babysitting. I made Seventh 200 grade. bucks babysitting Ooh. six hours. That's and um, yeah, it was like, oh, the zeros, like there's zeros in the bank and then they're going to be too many zeros. It's like, dude, <laughs> if that's like our problem that there's, you know, what was like the whole Y2? It was like about fear. Yeah. Well, it was like <laughs> it, all the dates are going to equal the same dates they were in 1900 and now they're 2000. And it's like, it was like some computing system problem. Dude, it was so insane. So I wish insane. I was who I was then because I would have been like, what are we talking about? We're just making everyone These watch. are computers. We tell them what to, to do. It's Ooh. almost like everyone was watching. Because we watched the ball drop. I don't actually don't really watch it anymore. But like at that time, totally. it's like, let's all watch to see what happens. Yes. Yeah, you're watching. Yeah, dude, that was like Y2K was so... It's viewership, baby. Yeah. That was like one of the first... If I think about it, it's one of the first things I was like dragged along for being scared. Dude, I had yes. like no... I had no bank account. I'm like, what happens? Our moms and dads are going to run out of money. (laughs) We're getting like toilet paper again. Well, we're glad you're here. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. This is a place that Chris and I created because we needed it so badly during our Saturn return going from our 20s to our 30s. But y'all, we realized we're kind of all going through transitions at all times. And So having these real conversations and then a community and just support systems through our courses and events and workshops and things. Yeah, we just felt like, wow, we could be ourselves and still grow and evolve and just feel pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. You know? We love the community. Yeah, you guys are the best. All about community. Whenever we get interviewed, we're always asked about community. Yes. We were on... um, I think it's coming out. Lauren Everett's podcast, Skinny Confidential, Lauren Everett's and Michael Bostick. We were on it. We record recently. So funny the astrology thing. Oh my! It was Dude, hilarious, guys, everybody. So they think. So they think we're really woo woo because we the way, are. We're not astrologers. Uh, yo. So she's like, <laughs> so there's this thing happening. What do you guys think about this? I was trying to explain it to Michael. We just trip over our feet. We were, we were like, like a the- Jupiter hits <laughs> ten degrees. We're trying to regurgitate information we don't know at all. Well, we did an episode on the Grand Conjunction. Just how how we're. How we understand it Mm -hmm. from all the experts that we follow and then how we're preparing and just kind of like from that point and moving beyond. And so when she asked it, I was like, it's the Jupiter and the sun and the moon and the, it creates the star. Bomb. And I was like, Jesus Christ. It was embarrassing. Back it up. What are you saying? (laughs) And I was like, hey, I was like, just so you know, we're learning along with you. We're not astrologers. (laughs) Also, dude, keeping up with astrology is a full-time fucking job. Yeah. Like literally, I remember when I moved to LA, everyone was like, oh, come to this moon ritual or this new moon ritual or full moon ritual. And I was like, dope. I'm going to go and like go to this full moon ritual. And then I went and then a month later, they were like, oh, come to the full moon ritual. I was like, why do they keep inviting me to the full moon ritual? <laughs> and I didn't even realize it was on a monthly cycle. Yes. And I'm and, and even now people are like, well, Mars is going direct and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, full-time job full to keep up with astrology. Full-time job. I, when stuff's too much like that, I, I know astrology from a four out of 10 level, maybe three enough to get by, but it's like, I, it's so much, I can't even really 
try and go there. Yeah, much respect to all of our astrologer friends. For and I, real. I wonder if it becomes second nature or I, do they yes. always have to study what's happening? But yeah, I mean, I think- it, like, Remember Danielle's book, Danielle Page, when she did our readings? And Oh my God. What was that? It was like Bible times 100. It was like 10 Bibles in one. It was With like- With more numbers <laughs> and like, symbols. Jesus. Yeah, I, I always find it interesting when something, either like a world event happens and or- you know, maybe a particular person is going through something, you know, maybe a high point in their life. Always curious, like what's going on in their chart. I find that to be interesting, likening it to like my own life where I can kind of pinpoint different transitions and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I get overwhelmed. I don't even know. I'm, so, a, Virgo, I'm a Virgo period. Bye. Yeah, honestly, it's, it's, and I love it. And I, it's weird because I believe it. Yeah. I believe in astrology. Oh, like it's, time. but dude, actually, dude, when I had my time wrong, dude. I thought I was a Scorpio moon and a Leo rising and I've never felt so seen. <laughs> I literally was like, oh yes, this explains everything. And it was wrong. What's your rising? My rising is Virgo. Oh, I'm interesting. Moon. Yeah. Um, but love that. It was it was interesting. So shout out to astrologers. I mean, you guys make the world go round, but it's it's truly a it's almost a language. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to know it's like. And it's just layered. It's like, you know this about this. And then you know this about this. You know you have to know degrees, like angles, like all these things. So I did recently the astral cartography. Yes. With our friend Dara Dubonnet. She's super sweet. She's Dara Dubonnet on um, Instagram. And astral cartography helps you understand um, where you should live from an astrological perspective. So taking into consideration your chart. So I inputted my chart as you normally do online. And then it basically maps your astrological influences onto the globe to show you where you should live, where you should visit, where you should avoid, where is a fit for you from a business perspective, where is a fit for you from a family perspective and all these different things. And it was like so accurate. It was crazy. Tell me more. So in LA, she's like, oh, this is why your LA experience has been this. So your Pluto line is this black line and your Pluto... Pluto is the planet of death, transformation, rebirth. It's like very dark, underworldy. And Pluto goes directly through Los Angeles. Whoa. Of all places in the world, directly through Los Angeles. And then connecting through Los Angeles from a different angle, but crossing directly the Pluto line is Mercury, mm. which is communication, connection. Like, So it's all about that. So it's like, of course, I would start a podcast about transformation here in LA with you. And then there was, oh, there's also something, a component of Mercury that also has to do with like partnership mm. and finding you and getting engaged in LA. So it's like so crazy because I was like, that is so spot on. Wow. Of all the fucking places in, in the, the world. world. All the places <laughs> in the world. And she, we also looked at Justin's Pluto line is a little bit off LA, mm. a little bit outside LA. So he has that Pluto influence too. In the mean, ocean. Yes. Okay. I mean, Justin's so like stable. There's no like <laughs> death and transformational moments for Justin because he's so stable. But it's also cute too. And, and if you do your chart, you can see it. Where I was born in Ohio, you know, I'm sandwiched between like two really beautiful lines. Like my sun line, which is like your the growth from the opposite end of Pluto almost. And then another line that really just sets you up for like a beautiful spiritual Mm. journey. And Justin was cute. He was right between his like little moon line, which is nurturing and like, you know, that kind of thing. But all of our lines were like 
basically in Florida, Nashville, Vancouver, like not anywhere I, I was really expecting. Wow. So yeah. a lot, so there's a difference between you mentioned family line and or like home yes. nesting. What what that's it, like a moon line is family okay. and home and nesting, but it's different for everyone. So what Got makes it. so a lot of people were asking about this, and you can get a free chart online, just like you can with any astrology. But what makes it hard is that the lines are influenced differently by your specific chart. Mm. So you could look at the lines and you could say I like see. Pluto means these things. But for Krista, because Krista is already someone that's obsessed with death, growth, and transformation from her Mercury and Aquarius or whatever it is, that is a fit for her. And yes. that makes sense. But if you're someone else, it's like, ah, oh, that would be really hard for them. So it's actually really hard to understand and read. I mean, maybe people could pick it up quicker than I could, but I found it to be like incredibly, I don't know, accurate, but also overwhelming. Yeah. Did it say where you should vacation or travel or visit? Brazil. Oh, cool. Yeah. I was talking about Brazil, which is really funny. Oh, wow. It's funny. There was actually another line through Morocco. And I was thinking uh -huh. about that. That's sweet. The business. But yeah, it's it's fascinating. But it's one of those things I'm like, God, like, oh, I don't want to... It's weird because I, in one sense, I'm like, I can create the intention where I go. I could create the experience that I want to experience by being intentional and being in alignment. But then I do look at things like I looked at LA and I looked at that and it's like, and if like this, done. yeah, if this experience that we had in LA was exactly this, that it makes me fearful to not go where I have specific lines of what I want to experience. Mm. So, meaning that you trust it to where, like, yeah, because yeah. if it yeah, showed me this I know, and where I was born, and even it had like a really beautiful lines in Chicago. And it was, she said something because I felt like home in Chicago. Like mm. when I lived in Chicago for like four years or something, I felt like home. I would always say, I was like, Chicago's my home. And there was lines that were like, like a line, you know, spoke to that. And then a lot of great things in Florida. And I felt so good in Florida when we were yeah. in Florida recently. So yeah, it's just funny. It's just an annoying. <laughs> I know. I, well, it's just, moves are such a huge decision mm -hmm. and it can feel... I think the logistics of a mood move can sometimes outweigh maybe the the purpose there. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's just not clear yet. But I love I kind of love this um, reading with her because it kind of does shift the focus to more of that. Yeah, like where everything will work itself out. But it's like, huh? If that means I'm going to feel at home in you know Florida, Austin, whatever it is, it's like, huh? Okay, I can focus on that feeling, that intention of like mm. creating home or this next like you know iteration rather than like. Oh, is that what I planned or is yes. that how it's going to go? You know, I called Justin and I was like, oh my God, I looked at our charts and I sent them to him and he really has nothing in the middle of the United States and I have my moon line, but it was like, he's like everything on the East Coast. And he's like, I was like, if we have basically really good lines in Florida, he's like, oh, are we moving to Florida? <laughs> <laughs> it was cute because it was like, I just like that he took it. He always yeah. takes this stuff very seriously, but that he took it seriously enough yes. to be like, are we going to move to Florida? So you just like manipulate the chart and just like- uh, you know? Honestly, <laughs> literally so true. Oh, that's so- So Dara Dubonet. Dara Dubonet, yeah. Yep. And she's probably booked up. I'm like, I should probably get in She's there. just like- She does it when she wants. She's a fairy. I she does it. it when she wants, but she does do bookings online. You can go on her website if you want one. And I'm sure there's other people that do it, but Dara's, she's so, she's just so herself. It's amazing. Yes. She's the best. That's one of my 
things I'm like kind of calling in where I, I feel like our friends are the, themselves, but even more, I just want like more people who are just so unapologetically themselves mm, in a way that like I'm that. not. Totally. So whether it's in like their art or expression or I don't know, like the freakies. I don't know. I'm just like, I want to like, I just want to be as much around those types of people as possible, especially if like we might move. It's like, oh, we're going to be in new places where we might not know as many people. It's like, I really want to be intentional about like, okay, who do I want to surround myself with? Yeah. It's like cultivating a cast of characters. Yes. I or a cult. Yeah. A cult. <laughs> or a cult. It's like, I think about Joey, my friend. Mm-hmm. And it's like, just like a character. Yes. That is just so different than any of my other friends. You know, you want like, I don't know. It's just nice to have, also too, to have friends that are doing things that are, we're lucky our friends are doing a lot of things in similar areas, but then it's nice to have that outside. Yeah. So you can learn, you can like Mm -hmm. watch them go through their process and stuff like that. I feel like in college, that was accessible to us where we could have friends in different areas, but I almost didn't because I'm like, I just need to have the same people. 100%. (laughs) Like if you're not wearing a North Face and leggings, then, you know, we're probably not friends. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I hated that about me in college. I know, same. I hated same. that. Because, you know, my... I wasn't like that in high school. I was, I really hung out with really mm, different people. Yeah, like I... Because I was in theater in college and like all of the people in theater were like so unique, so kind of like oddball, but in amazing ways. And I would never spend time with them outside of, you know, our classes really? or rehearsals. Yeah, sometimes. But yeah. like they kind of knew me as like, she doesn't do that. And that makes me sad. Ugh, I hate that. I'm still friends with a lot of them though. Mm-hmm. But like, it's interesting to hear their perspective of me back then and like how I experienced it. Yeah, totally. Sorry, guys. Oh, all right. Speaking of Florida. Speaking of Florida, baby. Got to be with our girl. Sahara Rose. She has SR. a new book coming out and we had, to, we had to see her in person. It's a beautiful book. The cover is stunning and I was reading it and I actually have read it and it's mm-hmm. so good. I was telling her, I'm like, this, it's just, I love the way she writes. It's conversational enough, but it's powerful enough. It's just really beautiful. And I love the concept of finding your dharma mm-hmm. and finding your purpose. And once you really find your dharma or your purpose and use her book to to do so, if you need help, everything else just really makes sense. Yeah, Sahara, we've known Sahara, ooh, like four years probably, like since the beginning of the pod, she mm-hmm. started her podcast not too long after ours. And um yeah, she's someone I think about as really owning her path. Yes. Like, you know, it it might in her eyes have gone like kind of in a couple different ways. Um, but she's always just owned it whole wholly. And it's it's pretty cool. And to see her in person and I feel like she channels when she's talking about just, you know, Dharma and anything Vedic related. There's just this power that she has. So as Chris has said, the book is like very interactive too. I when I'm learning a new concept, it's nice to have mm-hmm. whether it's like reflections or exercises. So it's called Discover Your Dharma, a Vedic guide to finding your purpose. But we recorded this at her new home in Miami. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Her spot is just gorgeous. Um, and I loved in this conversation just learning more about her history and her family history. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know her family history was so like just multifaceted and unique and challenging at times. And I felt like that was incredibly inspiring, hearing her family story and really what she's gone through to become who she is and to be in this place where she feels so called to share about how she found her purpose and passion 
through the book. Um, so this is just a really interesting conversation. It's super inspirational. It's like fun because we're friends. So it's always easy to listen to. And I'm really excited for you guys to learn more about discovering your dharma, how to find your purpose and what it takes to really live in that authentic alignment. Mm-hmm. And we have a ton of really exciting episodes this month too. So if you're not subscribed, definitely subscribe so you can get this one and others in your inbox. We're also on YouTube. So this we also shot this interview so you can see the interview on YouTube. And we wanted to tell you about Camp Almost 30 real quick. Dude, Camp Almost 30 is fire. First of all, it's free. It's free. Free. It's like a free day festival that we're hosting on January 16th from 10 a.m. to 2.30 Pacific. And we have some of the best in the game teaching us about astrology for 2021, manifestation, spirituality. We're going to do like wellness. It's just Mm going to be incredible. Yeah. So we wanted to bring in our healers, teachers, experts, and just like have a really good space to connect with one another as we start the year. You know, we were thinking about 2021. We were thinking about 2020 and we're like, okay, we got to set the tone and no better way to do it than with almost 30 nations. So this again is a free event, January 16th, 10 to 2.30 p.m. PST. It'll be virtual. And you can find out more information on almost30.com. You can also visit our Instagram and check out the link in our bio, but we cannot wait to see you. We have a special announcement happening during that event. So make sure you're there, invite your friends, make it a thing. And uh, we're excited. Yeah, I can't wait. Amazing. And then also too, so we're working on some fun things like website rebrand, relaunch, all of that stuff. So just keep your eyes freaking peeled for what's going on. Keep them peeled, baby. All right, enjoy this episode. Share it with your friends if it resonates and we will see you on the other side. We'll see you soon. Bye. One thing that Lindsay and I were talking about is how you have how many houses in Capricorn? Seven. Seven? Houses. How does it feel? Which is crazy because growing up, I never believed in astrology because I was like, Capricorn, that's not me. It's like organized, structured. It's like Miranda from Sex and the City. I'm like, that's the polar opposite of me. So I was like, astrology must be fake. And it actually wasn't until Danielle Page like came on my podcast and was like breaking it down. And like, she's just so much more intuitive with it that I was like, okay, I can see Capricorn more in the terms of like being hardworking and ambitious, et cetera. But I'm definitely not like type A. I don't have my shit together. People, I just like keep going. You, know? you do. That's the thing is I feel like you do, but you're much more spirit. So do you have like anything in Aquarius or like Scorpio? Like where's the so spiritual part So I follow part Vedic from? astrology and okay. that to me resonates so much more. So in Vedic astrology, I'm Sagittarius, which to me is like, oh, that feels like home. It's like travel, philosopher, adventurous, spontaneous, like seeker of truth. And I remember mm. I went to your guys' workshop a while ago on the planetary archetypes, the body archetypes and like the, the Jupiter one, jovial. I was like, that's me. And that's mm. the yes. planet that rules um, Sagittarius. Mm. So in Vedic astrology, I'm that. And also the interpretation of the planets are a little bit different in Vedic astrology. So I'm a, in, in India, when you ask someone, what's your sign, it's your rising sign. You don't talk about your sun sign. Your sun sign is a secret. You don't even tell anyone. So if I'm, if I'm asking you if we're, you know, potentially getting married, it's all about your rising sign because that's really who you are with the rest of the world. Whereas in Western astrology, it's all about your sun sign. That's what everyone is um, resonating with. So in Vedic astrology, I'm a Scorpio rising. And that's what a lot of spiritual teachers are. Like, you know, um, just so many people who've taught me, Osho, for example, they have all had the mm. Scorpio, but in the West, we're like, Scorpio is like 
goth sexual. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. It's like this very different so thing, but in in it's the Shaman Dirk, triple Scorpio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah even even Stephen, my husband, is Scorpio, and he definitely has some of that too, like in his man cave, but. But in Vedic astrology, Scorpio is much more like going to the depths and transformation mm. and like changing yourself. So yeah. Mm. It has the most emotional capacity of any sign. I know that. Mm. I had a friend that was like a Scorpio was a guy. Oh my God. It was like back in the day when people yes. were getting wasted. Every time we would get drunk, he'd be like, yeah, we're like crying. I'm like, dude, this is miserable. <laughs> That's when I was like, that. oh, I understand Scorpios uh-huh. really well. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not like the super, like if anything, that would be my more Capricorn sign of I'm just like, sure. everything is great. Just keep going. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. You're yeah. so Capricorn to me. I think of you uh-huh. so much. With but I think you have like that feminine flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has it always been like that? Because I know like your upbringing, it was... I would love to for you to talk about that. It's just like very much that work, work, validation, goal setting, reaching those milestones. Mm-hmm. So when did you like start to incorporate more of that like feminine flow? Yeah. So I think that when I was a child, I was very artistic and creative and imaginative. And I would like, you know, I, I identified as a witch. So it's kind of, it's a sad story actually, but me and these three other girls, we lived near Salem. So we would go to Salem every weekend and we would like get spell books and like do all of these rituals. I was probably like 10 years old at the time. And at the time, everyone in my school was like thinking that witches were evil and witches were like dark and to be burned at the stake. And I actually had to go through that in this lifetime. So I was walking across this hill and this group of kids who were in my class were like, burn the witch, like burn the witch at the stake. And this boy threw me down a hill and he had this, um, this, you know, those casts that you can walk on that are like made out of metal. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? They like have like, it's like a full shoe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he had one of those on his leg and he threw me down the hill and he came rolling after me and that hit my head and gave me a concussion. And I rolled all the way down the hill. And I remember waking up and they were just laughing. And I just like got up and I was just like, okay, I just need to go. I just need to go home. I just need to go to the principal's office. And after that, the Mm. teachers at school separated me and the other witches. And they were like, these girls are up to no good. Do you see what happens? Like we were actually the ones to blame for it. So after that, I wasn't allowed to talk to those girls at all. And I learned that it wasn't safe for me to be magical. So Mm. from there, I kind of shifted my focus into, okay, how do I fit in? How do I, you know, do what everyone else is doing? And I feel like that shifted my focus more to achievement. You know, I was always a dancer. Like that was my feminine outlet, but I became a competitive dancer and like on the dance team and like, you know, performance. And it became much more of that. So I think that, you know, deep down inside as children, we know who we are, but then an experience happens that makes us feel like we're not safe being who we are. So did you, how have you worked through that sort of trauma? I'm just a witch again, you know, like I, I think that it's not for me, it was just like this gradual remembrance. I don't think that finding your purpose or your truth is something it's just like, I mean, for some people, it's like a plant medicine ceremony and just happens. And for me, it was this gradual, like, you know, okay, I'm going to show up this way. Am I safe? Am I, I'm going to show up this way. Am I safe? Am I held? Am I received? And, you know, for me, it was the journey of coming back to yoga. That was really like what brought me back home to spirituality because yoga was more accessible. Like I could go to yoga classes and then from the yoga classes, I wanted to go to Kirtan. And from Kirtan, I wanted to learn about, you know, everything Vedic wisdom. And from that, you know, Ayurveda and living in India and all of that stuff. But it brought me exactly back to where I was, which was this like creative, ritualistic, you know, free spirit. And now I 
realize that I needed to go through those different initiations to really, you know, I think all of us were actually witches that were burned at the stake at some point. So we needed to go through it again in this lifetime and realize, you know what, despite that happening to me, I'm still safe and I can be my magical self. Mm. I think there was the same astrological influences as there was during the Salem witch trials a month or so ago. And I remember being with Aaron and I was like, I'm feeling, I was really feeling it. I was like, wow, I do not feel okay. I feel like the truth is a burden. And I was thinking of all the truths that I perceived to know. And I was like, wow, it doesn't feel good to know this. It feels like an outsider. Mm -hmm. It's like, I feel like an outsider with all this information. And it, it just felt really profound. I was like, oh, wow, this is really happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's cancel culture? It's literally modern day witch trials. It's we as a collective don't agree with you. So we're going to tear you down. And who's it happening to? A woman. Who's doing it? Woman. You know, like this is exactly what the patriarchy wanted. This is where the sister wound, which we were talking mm-hmm, about yes. recently comes from. It's it's other women teaming up against other women because they think then that will make me safe. So if I find your flaw or something you did that we think is off or maybe even was off, Mm -hmm. you know, but it will make me safe to be on this team that's not you. Mm. So we're going through this modern day witch trial and, you know, there's so much to say about cancel culture and what's happening in the world. And yeah, there are a lot of like messed up things that people in the mainstream media are doing. And there are things that should be called out and looked at and observed. However, question, are you just teaming up to be on the side because you feel like if I don't point my finger at you, then someone will point the finger at me? Well, there's something deeper to look at there. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I feel like all of these tactics in that way are like literally just to walk us as far away from ourselves as possible, you know? And like, to your point, it would be so much more powerful if we could sit in observance and and in like conversation more so, but it, it's so one-sided, especially on the internet. It's like who talks louder so that the mm-hmm. other person can't be heard. Have you experienced that just in life? Like not necessarily on social media, but just in life where you felt like there were opinions or voices or expectations of you that were much louder and you felt kind of that weight of I can't be I can't be fully expressive of of who I am. Yeah, no, absolutely and that's that was such a part of my journey of finding my purpose of my it for me it was my own family, my own parents and you know, my mom was a refugee. She fled the Iranian revolution. She left when the borders were closed, literally hitchhiked her way to Europe and came as a refugee to the United States. So her life was focused on survival. So that's why I feel so much for the people crossing the borders cuz those kids that's me, you know, someone who came to this country wanting a better life. My dad came as an immigrant and he got a scholarship to MIT. And it was like, if I can just be smart and successful, then I'll make it. So, you know, growing up, it was all about like, how do you fit in? How do you survive? How do you make it? We made it in America. Woo. Everything's great. Like we, we did it. We're good. this is enough. And, you know, in Maslow's hierarchy, we can see that once you've achieved one level of, you know, survival is safe. Now let me go to the next the next chakra of like, now I'm going to reach for self-actualization and I'm going to ask my purpose Mm. and I'm going to ask what else is out there. So they didn't really understand why I was doing that. And I was given so many opportunities to be raised in this country and I wanted more. So that was seen as me being selfish, as me not caring about them, as me taking them for granted. 
And then eventually when I decided that I wasn't going to get, you know, a normal job and I was going to write this book on Ayurveda, which they thought was insane. I didn't have a book deal. I wasn't making any money doing it. I was just like health coaching on the side, making like, you know, $200 a month. I lived in a hut in India that cost me $3 a night. Like they thought I was batshit crazy. And they were like, we struggled so much for you to do this. Like, and then, it, you know, when parents want to protect you, they'll say anything that they can. So especially my dad was very like, you are a disgrace to the family. You are a failure. You're a loser. You're the scum of the earth. Like whatever he could say to just like, wake me up. So he thought the more, the more intense it would get, I don't know, I would be like, oh shit, I am a failure. Let me become a real estate agent, you know, which was what he, he wanted me to do, which is just imagine me as a real estate agent. <laughs> yeah, you probably you, it. Yeah. You I feel like I live in a $3 hut in India, but like <laughs> yeah, buy this property. So, yeah. <laughs> so, but the thing is, it wasn't like I was like, screw you guys, I'm strong. Like I was like, oh my God, are they right? Like in front of them, I would be like, no, I'm going to make it. And then I would go behind closed doors of like, oh shit, maybe I am going to be a starving artist. Maybe I am going to end up homeless. Maybe I think I'm someone special and I'm not. And I was really confused because I felt like having your purpose is like the Santa Claus story that like they tell you as a kid of like, follow your dreams. And then you do it. They're like, wait, you believed that? <laughs> you were supposed to do that? <laughs> so I was like, wait, have I just been told this entire lie? And I remember probably the worst fight with my dad. He was just mm. yelling at me. And I went downstairs to my childhood room, where had, which had like all of my toys and stuff. And, you know, at that point I was like 23 or 24 years old. So just like going, you know, when you go back to your childhood room and you're just like, this is so different than how I remembered. And I was like looking at all the toys. I was like, this was all a lie. Like, why did they, why did they raise me and tell me all of these things? And then here I am trying to be me and I'm a disgrace to them. And I was just crying, mm. sobbing, like on my knees moment, just like crying into the ground. And then I felt this feeling of numbness, just nothing. And at that, re- at that moment, I realized, you know what? If I'm dead to them, if they don't want me in their life, then I'm going to be free. And I don't need their approval anymore. And I call that that moment that I became unfuckwithable because I realized then that I didn't have to live for anyone else's approval and what a constant tie that was. And I realized throughout my entire life, I got a good grade. Are you proud of me? I did this. Are you proud of me? Are you happy? Did I get your gold star? Did I get your approval? And then the one, you know, the the two people that I wanted their approval of the most to, to have it the least, I was just like, then fuck this. I'm not trying anymore. So I told them that I'm going back to India. They were just like, what? Like in disbelief. And I went and I stayed there for the next year. And those were the moments of time that I no longer had the guilt. Because before that I was going and I had guilt. I had, should I be here? Should I not? Like, is this just like a temporary thing that I'm doing? Like, is the spirituality just like a hobby, but then I have to go back to normal life. And after that, I was like, nope, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And it was then that I had to get the strength to finally follow my purpose. I think for a lot of us, we, we want to live our purpose. We want to share our gifts. We want to share, but we don't have the strength. So just because you were born with a purpose, with a Dharma, it doesn't mean that you're going to embody it. And I needed to go through that experience of being strong enough to stand in front of the people whose, whose opinions I wanted the most and had the least to now, okay, if you don't like me on Instagram, I don't give a fuck, you know, like I I've stood this, that it doesn't matter anymore. And now, you know, 
seven years after that, and this, you know, this Thanksgiving was a very, a very healing and closing one because Mm. I had to then share this story and share it publicly, share it in a book that I knew they were going to read. And that was just so, so difficult because you have your story to share, but then when your story involves someone else, someone else whose whole life has been based off of privacy, who has been based off of keeping up with the Joneses or the Habibis in in my case, but, um, (laughs) but trying to make it look like you made it. And then someone's out there sharing like all of these ways that you have not, it's confronting. And it was this huge battle of like, how much do I share? How much do I not share? And eventually realizing that I would never be satisfied with this book if I don't share the harder harder part of the journey. So yeah, this weekend was the confrontation of that. But I had to actually write it in the book and not ask, can I write this or not? Because I knew they'd say no. Mm-hmm. And I knew that it would end up being a whole other you know, year of us not talking. Mm-hmm. So I was like, it's in the book. This is my truth. I, I wrote it as too perspective as I could, like throughout the, I don't know if you've read that part of the story yet, but I kept adding like, they were afraid of my life. They wanted to protect me. Like I understand why they did it from this higher perspective now. And this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Isn't it so funny how parents, when you're a child, say under 16, are so hard on like being the protector, giving you the advice, putting up the guardrails, showing you the way. And then as an adult, when you reflect and you're like, hmm, that affected me in this way. And you're just honestly reflecting. It's like hands off. It's and, and they take it so personally, but like the upbringing was so personal. Like, mm-hmm. how could it not? And it's this interesting, like, invitation to separate. My, you know? my, my mom's always like, Well, you know, I was the worst mother. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was like complete, like, she was like, Well, you know, just because I don't think they have like the mental ability to process a lot of it and understand too that it's like it, you can have said that and still be a good parent. It's, exactly. It's like, I think their generation hid almost everything. It was sort of, you never told anyone that you were having problems with your marriage or with your kids or money. It was always so hidden and buried. And now people are so much more open and honest for better or for worse. And it's really almost important to our journey when we talk about the hard times. And I think sometimes it goes a little too far right where it's like a Mm-hmm. trauma competition, but I really think that there was just, they didn't share anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it and it's tough too, because with social media, it's so out there. Yeah. So we don't realize too, she's like, my friends read your Instagram posts and, and they tell me, oh, this happened. And, and it's like, like do you they know, like my twerking? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, we don't realize it's like, I'm sharing it to my community in my community are my mom's friends you know, and those, are, and those are the very people that she would never want to read these things. So, you know, it's so hard because it is such a cathartic process to share your story. And for some people it is on social media or online or with strangers. And it's a hard battle of knowing what you can share and how you can be respectful at the same time. And it's like this constant dance that I think our generation is going to figure out. I mean, our kids are going to be like, yo, fuck my parents. <laughs> can you imagine? Dude, me in high school, if I had like Twitter, oh my God. My mom just yelled at me. She's such a bitch. Yeah, yeah. literally. It's like, she'll never understand me. Um, I think something you said was super important about when finding your dharma and pursuing your dharma, it's the strength piece. Yeah. And I think that's what's missing for a lot of people. I think people do have a hard time connecting with what 
could be their dharma because we don't slow down and among other things, but I really think the strength is the most important piece. And I think Mm. for me, that was my differentiator. That's why I have what I have is because not only my strength, but my willingness to go there, to look stupid, to do the different thing. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I write about you guys in the book. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to read it word for word. Yeah, good. Um, 100%. So the main obstacles that are keeping people from living their dharma, the number one is confusion of feeling this, I don't know what to do with the social media world. There's so many you know, possibilities out there. You're like, someone's a travel blogger, someone's a mom, someone has like this business, someone has this epic job. So but you that's don't also know- in a way procrastination mm-hmm. for people. Confusion is like mostly procrastination. Yeah. And I don't even think confusion exists. So I was always labeled as confused. You're confused. You don't know what you want, but confusion is actually a higher vibration than apathy. Apathy means you don't care. You're not even questioning. Confusion means you're in the process of evaluating Mm. your own truth. It's a beautiful thing to be confused. That means you're asking what else could be out there. I'm I'm weighing different options. I'm thinking of possibilities. It's it's that vata dosha, the air energy. If we don't go through confusion, we'll never get through clarity. So when people look at us, you're confused. That means you're getting the wheels going. So the second reason why is people feeling they're not enough. So people feeling like someone else is doing it, which is one of the biggest things. Someone else is already writing a book on that. Someone else is already talking about that. Someone else is smarter than me, wiser than me, fitter than me, thinner than me, whatever it is. And I share in the book that the very things that you're the most ashamed about are the actual things that you should be leading with because those are the things that let your people find you. So the number one reason, like this is an actual scientific research. The number one reason why people don't like others is a feeling that they're fake. Mm. So why are we trying to create this perfect picture and be this perfect person and be rich enough, smart enough, whatever it is enough, when the number one reason people actually don't vibe with someone else is feeling like they're too fake? So those very things that you're the most ashamed about, maybe you're like really into anime or like BDSM or, you know, for me, I'm like talking about Ayurveda and the Vedas. I twerk, I belly dance, I DJ, like all these things that I was like, no one can know that about me. Mm -hmm. That will stay in the closet. But I remember I actually, and this is a really good question for people to ask if they're like super confused of their purpose is ask your family or friends or community, when have you seen me at my best? So I wrote on my Instagram, like, when have you seen me at my best? And all of the ones were like, when you were dancing, when you were DJing, I'm like, wait, I write about all of these doshas every day. And, <laughs> and like, that's, and that's how you've, that's how you remember seeing me at my best. Cause I was alive. I was yeah. invigorated. I was inspired. I was in passion. So the more I would bring that, of course, there were going to be some people that don't like that, but those aren't my people. So I share, write your five uncomfortable truths, the five things you don't want people to know about you. And how can you incorporate that into your dharma? Mm -hmm. So then another reason why the third is they don't know where to start. So feeling like, I know I want to do this thing. I don't know where to start. There's so, it seems like there's so many options. Do I start with a course? Do I just do it? And the thing is, there's never going to be a perfect way to start because every single person's journey in my perspective, every soul's experience will need a unique curriculum. So in the Vedic perspective, and Vedas being the sister science of yoga, Ayurveda, Vedic astrology, which we spoke about, each of our souls chose to incarnate in this earth school for a reason. And that reason is to live our purpose, to live our dharma. And that dharma is to raise the vibration of the planet. So all of us actually truly have the same dharma. However, we have each chosen unique parents, obstacle situations, bodies, environments, archetypes, doshas, astrology, all of the things. 
so we can embody that purpose. So if you were here to make the world laugh and think and feel, you were going to be born with more entertainer, more vata, more maybe parents who, you know, loved your jokes or something like that. Like Jim Carrey, right? He was just born. He, he chose all of that from a Vedic perspective. Tony Robbins, he needed to have a mother who wasn't there for him and learn to speak up for himself or Wayne Dyer or everyone had, you know, especially if you had a difficult childhood, I always say you were born into the microcosm of what you were here to solve. So, you know, I was born into child marriage. My grandma was 12 years old when she was married and everyone in my lineage before that as well. I was born into patriarchy. No one in my family has worked, you know, refugee, asylum, political prisoner. That's all part of my ancestry. And that's what I'm here to solve. For someone else, that could be addiction. It could be trauma. It could be sexual assault. And you were born into the microcosm of what you're here to solve because you can love those people. You can see them for who they are. You can understand what are the footsteps of my mom when she's drunk? How is she showing up differently? And you can get to know addiction from such a deep level that when you go about solving it, it's not this thing that you're on the outside of. You are so deeply entrenched in it that you can come into it from an insider's perspective. So a lot of people say it's not fair. Why do some people have more difficult lives than others? And that means that's their soul's unique curriculum for them to embody their dharma. So it's not about negating it or pretending it didn't happen, but it's actually about what is the lesson that this taught me. And it can be very, very difficult because we can look at examples of people who never did find their purpose and say, you know, again, why was my grandma married when she was 12 years old and like never, never even got to go to school? You know, why, how come she didn't get to live her Dharma? And this is such a universal question that I think the, you know, the Buddha sat with since the beginning of time. It's like, why, why is life not fair? And to me, it comes down to what story do you want to operate from? The story that I choose to operate from is that my obstacles have been my soul's training, have given me strength, have given me courage, have given me experience to fulfill my dharma. But not everyone is going to choose that story or feel even feel you know in alignment with that story. You don't have to be. However, to me, it's the most empowering because it takes me out of victimhood of what's happened to me and puts me into my creatrix consciousness of how can I use these now to my benefit? How can this be in my sacred cauldron? You know, we each, especially as women, we have the wombs, we have the cauldron. What was in your cauldron and how can you turn that into alchemy? It's not about, you know, nothing was ever in my cauldron and now I can live my dharma. You know, that's your potion, that's your medicine and that's what you get to bring out to the world. All I can think about is like, why isn't this taught in schools? By the way, my, my grandmother who was in the child marriage when she was 12 years old, before she died, came to Boston University and gave a talk to the entire gender studies about what happened to her. So it's like, it kind of shows that in a way she did live her dharma, even wow. despite that through her granddaughter. Was he an older man? Was yeah. it like a way of trade or barter? Like what was the purpose? Yeah. So my grandpa was uh, 27 years old and she was 12. And at that time that was normal. So my grandpa did a business deal with her dad. And after the business deal, he's like, choose one of my daughters. And that's just how marriage happened in, you know, a lot of the world in Iran, Pakistan, India, et cetera. Even today, child marriage is such a, you know, I see it as a huge travesty and a problem. And through my own healing, I've had to understand time and culture 
because I was like, oh my God, my grandpa did that to my grandma. Like I hate him, Mm -hmm. you know? And I had to realize that even he was doing what he was told at the time. Mm. So imagine when, what we're being told to do that we're doing that one day our grandkids are going to look back like you did that. Honestly, You let racism happen. You let slavery continue. Mm -hmm. You let like child pedophilia. You knew Mm -hmm. about this stuff. You let it happen. So it just shows that we are so indoctrinated by our society that we don't question. We just you know, fit in and do do what it is that we're meant to do. And despite all of that happening, I'm here because of it. Mm-hmm. So how can I, how can I say some things, you know, should never have happened when I'm the result of it? Mm. Is there such a thing as like ancestral dharma? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something like that? yeah, that's a huge thing I actually write about in the book. You know, we talk a lot about ancestral trauma, ancestral lineage. It's such an amazing thing that's really showing up for a lot of people right now of how what your parents experience, your grandparents experience, et cetera, might be showing up in your life. And just as much as there's that, there's ancestral gifts. So I think we like so folks like all the baggage that I got, but we also received a lot of gifts. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe your mother's love of music was passed on to you or your grandmother's ability to heal people with herbs or whatever else that it is. So in a Vedic perspective, our souls actually incarnate with the same kind of figures throughout different lifetimes, but they play different roles in our lives. So for example, your mother may have been like your brother in a past life. Your sister may have been your your neighbor or the, the same characters end up playing all of these different roles to play out different karma with each other. So you're going to experience like I'm sure you guys knew you were sisters in a past life. Maybe you were mother daughter in one other life. And then maybe you were soldiers husband in the wife. same army. And <laughs> yeah, husband husband wife. We were soldiers in an army. Yeah. yeah I, was, that one? I yep. was soldiers in the army with, with my one? husband. Your, yeah. With, with your husband? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and my brother and Deepak Chopra was the general. We were like, <laughs> no way. We were like hiding something. We were like prisoners yeah. of war or something. Yeah. We we're like hiding something. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we all have this unique, you know, karma that we're meant to play out with different people. And that's very much going to affect our dharma. Like for example, you know, with, um, let's say you've always felt like you were your mother's mother, right? You were always mothering her, teaching her, et cetera. Like that actually could have been your role in a past life. So in this lifetime, it's learning you're not the mother anymore. You're the daughter. You get to receive, you get to be the Mm -hmm. child, but it could feel so unfamiliar to you because your, your body, your soul's memory is so different. Wow. Hmm. I want to talk about how you mentioned about um, Dharma is not your career. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this like intertwining of identity and career in especially Western culture. And I can even say for myself, but what would you say? Can you talk a little bit more about that, that your Dharma is not your career? Yeah. So I see your Dharma as your mission statement. You know, like if I go on a company's website and I look up their mission statement, it's their why. So your mission statement could be to Mostly bring- bullshit, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in an innovation, innovative yeah, future with like, innovation. It's just like all innovation words. on top. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, we're also Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> Here to change the fabric of society. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All while being eco-friendly. You're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like, this would be a real deal one. Okay, this is the Etsy shop one. <laughs> so let's say your mission statement is to bring beauty to the world, right? So whatever you do, you're going to bring beauty to it. So like Lindsay, I see you definitely having this. You're here to bring like beauty and artistry and like sonic alchemy and use your voice to heal the world. So that could show up for you. Now, as your company's mission statement, you have different services. Now those could be careers, jobs, projects, roles, et cetera. So you could do this podcast using your voice. You could sing, you could make music, you could do um, sound bowls. There's so many things that you could do all under the same umbrella of that Dharma. 
So a lot of people I see, they're mad at themselves of like, why can't I stick to one thing? I must not have a purpose. I keep changing my mind. And actually different doshas, I, I kind of break it down into different doshas, which are different Ayurvedic archetypes, resonate with, with Dharma in a different way. So people who are more vata, more air, more creative, they're more likely to need different types of stimulation. They might need to express their gifts in very unique ways. So they're the type of person, like I have a lot of Vata in me that I'm like, I want to write a book and I want to do the podcast and I want to dance and and do these other things that like might not feel totally related, but are still under my same umbrella of raising consciousness and bringing ancient wisdom to the world and connecting people to the feminine. But those are all of the different ways that I could do it. Now, people who are more Pitta, that's more of the fire energy. They tend to like go after one goal and completely stick to it. They have this like laser focus, like energy. So they might, you know, I have this idea. We turn cars into taxis. I'm creating Uber and they like, just go for it. That might be a lifetime or that might just be a period of their life and they move on to something else. But it's with this level of focus and intensity. Now, people who are more kapha, which is the earth dosha, like they're more earthy, caring, the nurture archetype that I write about in the book, they tend to resonate with Dharma more as a role that they play. Like I'm here to really connect with people or I'm here to, you know, resonate with people on a deep soul level. So they might just have one throughout their lives. Like they might be like, I'm a therapist and I love being a therapist and I don't want to do a million things. And they might be looking at the Vata of like, am I doing something wrong? Cause that person keeps changing their mind, but truthfully they're here to be the therapist or even be the mother. I see a lot of people of like, oh, maybe my Dharma is just to be a mom. And first of all, if you're using the word just then I'm going to assume it's not your dharma because someone whose dharma truly is to be a mom would never use the word just. They would never say, this is not enough, right? So the fact that you are saying just to be a mom means then it's not your dharma because you're not feeling like it's enough or you haven't fully stepped into it. But for example, a lot of people who are more of the nurturer, they might deeply find themselves through motherhood and then that might transition to them, you know, joining the PTA or creating a a nonprofit or creating a formula that they gave their babies and their dharma actually might come through that role. So to me, it's so important to understand that there's no one face to dharma. It's not like one person just, you know, I think in our society, we so celebrate the person who just takes the risk and sells their things and lives in the van and like makes it. Mm -hmm. And that's just not how it is. I actually share about three paths to getting to your dharma. So the first path is that leap of, you know, I, for example, I hate my job. I don't like where my life is going. So I'm just going to backpack in the Himalayas until I find my purpose. And that can work really well for those more pitta people, those more intense, all or nothing people. Or if your job is so deteriorating for your mental health, that staying in it is just so damaging for you. You can't think clearly. You might need to make the leap. However, if you have kids that you're paying for, or, you know, a family that is depending on you, or you get really stressed out in in really vulnerable situations like this, then the leap is not for you. Then there's the transition, which is where I write about um, almost 30 and specifically your your journey, um, Krista, which you've shared on this podcast of the transition is when you have, you know, a job that, you know, maybe it's not like your full dharma, but you're not hating life every day either. Like you can keep going at it and it's giving you the space to explore what it is that you really want to do and then build that thing up and enough so it can support you if you are seeking support from your dharma. So you guys, 
you know, started almost 30 in your closet and keep working at it, building your community, finding sponsors, creating this whole team and this whole mission around it. And then you were able to decide for yourself, when do I feel at a comfortable enough space to now transition? Like I call it the slow fadeaway into now you're fully stepped into your purpose. Whereas imagine if in like 2016 or 17, when you guys started this, you're like, Lindsay, we're starting a podcast. It's going to pay our rent. Let's do it. Like that would have been so stressful and it, and it just wouldn't have worked. And then maybe you guys would have like tried to do things for money that wouldn't have been alignment. You couldn't have made it as authentic as you, as you, you know, have today. So that can happen through the transition. Now for some people, the challenge is they end up not doing it. So they end up saying, you know what, I'm going to, you know, start this podcast and it's going to be my main thing, but because they have their other job, it ends up taking more of their time. And then working on it from the weekends becomes every other week, becomes every month, becomes never. And that, that same fire is not there. It's not like a make it or break it situation. So it can easily just never happen. And then the third is the accidental dharma. So this is when you're not looking for your purpose, but your purpose just finds you. So an example I share in the book is a friend of mine's uncle was like an engineer in his fifties, engineer his whole life, never even questioned what's my purpose. And his company, the HR uh, team in his company said, everyone has to take an art extracurricular. So he was like looking through, he's like, um, okay, I'll just do pottery. Randomly chooses pottery. Coincidences don't exist by the way, but he chooses pottery, gets his hand on the wheel. He's like, I love this. I love how the earth feels in my hands and I can make pots and bowls. And he starts going every single day. He's like obsessed with getting on this wheel. He's making things for everyone on the team and then his family. And now he's a full-time potter which is very, very rare in today's world. And, you know, the first half of his life was being an engineer. The second half was being a potter. It just found him. So I share that these three paths because we try to say this person made it in this way. Therefore, I should shape my experience based off of that. And it's never going to be the case because again, each of us is so different, different doshas, different souls. So sometimes an accidental dharma does find you and you don't trust it. So that same engineer could have, loved pottery and been like, you know, but I could never do a, do a career, you know, making pottery and not trusted it. So I think all of us have been nudged of what that Dharma can be, but we don't listen. So it's also trusting, where do I feel at home? Where do I feel like my fullest self? Where do I feel most expansive and leaning more into that? And why is that feeling so uncomfortable for a lot of people? Yeah. Like I'm thinking about just kind of the the thought that everything should be hard and it should be a struggle or should there should be this process from where you are now to where you want to go and it should kind of make you into who you should become. Mm-hmm. But that feeling of just like, ah, oh, I am like so in my purpose. I'm in my flow. I feel confident. I feel connected. Why is it so hard for people to get there? Our society is is yeah. truly why, you know, I like to think of it as you're on a beach, you know, and there are the open waters, which are you living your dharma, you living in flow, in Korea, all of you know the things that you want to experience. But to get to those open waters, you have to go through the waves. And a lot of us, we try to go through the first couple of waves. We're like, oh my God, it keeps bringing me back to the same shore. It's probably going to be wavy forever. I'm never going to make it. I'm just going to stay right here on this beach where I am, where I see everyone else. And this must be what life is. Life's tough. Get a helmet. I'm just going to stay here. And we see other people try and also give up and come back. So we create the story that these open waters must not even exist, or they must only exist for special people. 
However, when you keep trying to go through the waves, you learn how to duck and you learn how to maneuver and you become better at adapting. And then once you make it through that, which is your societal conditioning and your limiting beliefs and all of the things that have made you forget the truth of who you are, then you're out into these open waters and you're like, oh, wait, this is what it's supposed to be like. And in Vedic spirituality, they call this living in Kriya. So Kriya is effortless flow and it's how life is meant to be lived. We're meant to experience synchronicities. We're meant to feel good on a daily basis, but we're so far away from that. And as a society have accepted that life is painful, life is hard, and this is actually what you should be used to, that we're not even reaching for this Kriya. We're living in what this definition is, is karma. So karma has many different definitions, but really it means bounded action by the universe. So imagine you were born on a highway. The end of the highway is your dharma. It's your purpose, right? So as you're driving down this highway, you're on cruise control, you're, you're feeling flow, you're experiencing the exact experiences you need. It's propelling you forward. It's almost like you're taking a back seat and the universe has taken the wheel. That's how you're meant to live. However, there are many exits on this highway and these exits are like, Hey, you'll make a lot more money doing this, or you're never going to make it to Dharma. It doesn't even exist. It's bullshit. It's fake. Or your parents are going to be really upset with you if you keep going that way or whatever else it is. And you see all these other people taking those exits. So you're like, do I take the exit or do I keep trusting that this unknown place I've never even seen before exists, but nowhere else, no one else I've seen is even going there. And most of us at some stage, we all will take different exits. And then the way the universe responds is by first tapping us. And that tapping us is essentially putting us back on the path. It's saying, you know, I'm feeling really anxious or something's feeling really off or I'm repeating the same conversation in my mind all the time that I know I really need to have. And then most of us don't listen. And then those taps become punches and it's like, things are feeling really off. Maybe you're having a burnout or a breakdown or something that really is throwing you off track, but you're thinking, you know what? I'm just gonna like take a pill, whatever it is, get through it. And then if you continue to not listen, it can turn into a collision, an accident, a near-death experience, something that you have no choice but to really look at your decisions. And still some people choose not to listen too. So for some people, different people need different breaking points. For some people, the more adapt we adapt we become at this, we're able to realize something feels a little bit off. Let me pivot, get back to Kriya. And for some people, and it's not a hierarchical thing either, Eckhart Tolle, almost killed himself before he became the Eckhart Tolle that we know today. That was the breakdown that he needed. So different people will need to hit different rock bottoms to make that shift. However, what we have to become really, really strong at is to kind of observe what's the flow of my life. Am I feeling like I'm in Kriya flow or am I feeling like I'm in karma, constant roadblocks? And now the further you have detracted from your truth, the more of those waves there are, because the longer the decisions you have made that have kept you from being out of alignment. So you're going to have to know to maneuver those waves. And that's when it can feel really hard and stuck. And if I'm supposed to live my purpose, why is it so hard? Eventually when you untie all of those knots, you're living your purpose and then suddenly doesn't have to feel so hard anymore. People, how does the chakras, I, I was reading in the book, how does the chakras play a part in this? Yeah. So I, I love looking at all things Vedic from, you know, look, it's my, my lens to view life from. So the doshas are kind of, as we know, the three Ayurvedic archetypes, air being vata, fire being pitta, earth being kapha. However, we can further break them down into the chakras. And I'm sure you guys have done podcasts on the chakras and people might be familiar. It's such a, a 
like a buzzword right now, even though it's a very ancient word. So I like to think of the, the, the imagery of an idea dropping through you. So let's say you have an idea for something, right? So like, do you guys have any ideas that you've been thinking of or an example? My big idea was like OnlyFans pretty much. I thought of this. I was like, maybe Snapchat for porn stars where people can subscribe. Isn't that crazy? That was my idea. It was kind of OnlyFans. So that was my latest good idea. I mean, I think just Snapchat is that, but yeah, they should subscribe. But it was always like porn, no. I know, I'm like, no porn, but I'm like, support the porn stars. Yeah. Um, Like, what's another idea? Mm. Maybe our book. Yeah, book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. So let's yeah. say your book, and I'm sure so many people listening have books that are like waiting to be birthed through them. That was such a huge, you know, part of my Dharma and journey. So you ha- you're kind of walking down the street, you have this idea for the book and it kind of drops into your mind. And that idea doesn't come from you. It comes through you. It was chosen to come to you because you have the exact alignment needed to birth it to life. However, that doesn't mean it's just yours. You know, that's why we often get confused. We're like, wait, why is someone doing something so similar to what I want to be doing? Well, that same that same idea could have also dropped through them, but their expression of it is going to be different. So we receive the idea through our crown. That's when you just get that hit. Then you start to think about it. You're like, okay, I know I want to write this book, but what could it look like? What would the chapters be? How would it feel? What would the tone be? What would it be in? And you start to really think about it. This is all through your third eye. So you start to ideate it. You imagine it. You really, you know, let your brain start flowing. And this is all still the Vata stage. Then you start to speak it. Maybe you write it down or you share it with a friend or you record it, but you start to actually give it the form of of words and vocabulary and more context and you're beginning to solidify it. So this is all still the Vata stage of Adharma. Then you start to feel the love for it. You start to feel so excited of, oh my God, like this book could touch so many people's lives and imagine them holding it and reading it and the experience they're going to have. And I could create this and you start to feel the passion. And this is moving into the pitta dosha, the heart chakra. So you start to feel so much love and passion that you just can't help but do. And most of us, it's like, we want to cook something on the flame, but we don't tend to the fire. You got to feel the heart first. You can't go into the doing until the heart is activated. So from this place of, I can't help but do, it's like a vomit coming through me. I just need to create this thing. You bring it in through the solar plexus. And this is your digestive fire. This is the transformation. This is the manifestation of an idea into the physical. So this is when you're asked to the grass, you're doing, you're getting shit done. You are powering through it. Like, and a lot of spiritual people have a tough time with this, with this part, you know? <laughs> and, and me too, me too, totally. This was the hardest thing for me. I was like, I have all these ideas, but I would, I would not get to the stage of doing it enough. And when there's, when you don't have any stake in the game, you're not physically doing it. It's very easy to just go off to the next idea, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So when you're actually physically doing it, you're bringing your fires to it. This is really the height of the pitta dosha. It's the one you're going to actually be in probably for the longest of the chakras of just really recording the podcasts, like learning how to edit, doing the, doing the thing, you know? And it's in this process that it actually takes life and it, it births into this physical realm. And really we're all here as conductors and channels of birthing ideas through. And, and this is the stage that it turns into that idea, into the thing. Now, a lot of people in our society stay in the stage for too long. They're just doing, 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 repeating, repeating. This is working, so I'm going to just keep doing it. And that's when the burnout happens, excess fire, because you're not 
giving yourself a break. And you're also not stepping away from it enough to see how have I changed through this experience of doing. You know, let's say I started, you know, a CBD chocolate company. I thought about it. I, I talked about it. I feel the love for it and I'm doing it, but maybe I'm two years into it now. I'm not the same person. So most of us are like, but it's working. People are buying it. So I should just keep doing it forever. And it's like, you're not the same person. So this is when you got to move into the sacral chakra. And this is when we get to the kapha dosha, the earth dosha, the sacral chakra being finding the joy of it again, finding the creativity. What could this look like now based off of who I am and how I've also shifted through this metabolism process? Then when you are able to find that joy and that fluidity and that water into it again, you can bring it through the root and that's birthing it into a movement that is past you. And that's when your dharma actually merges with other people's dharma. And you know, you, you can create this team around you or you have other people who are in alignment with what it is that you're doing. And it actually births into something that has its own legs and can take its own life, right? Almost 30 nation. Mm-hmm. However, for some people, they're, then they're done with that dharma. They just needed to birth it through and it takes its own life. You may have brought a business to life and now it's like, here it is. It's someone else's dharma to now you know, manage it or take it to the next step. Or you may take it through the journey of the chakras again, of now that I've birthed this, here's my new idea. And then you go through the process of ideating it, speaking it, feeling it, et cetera. And you keep birthing a higher and higher and higher elevation of it. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is an amazing compass to look at your dharma through of, okay, where am I in in these seven stages? Am I coming up with the idea? Am I talking about it? Am I really in the doing of it? Or, or breaking into the three doshas? Where am I at right now? And then where is the next place to go? So from the idea, take action. If you're a very big idea person, just take one thing. If you were to die next year, what's the one thing you would do? Just do that one thing, see it through. Once you've seen it through, you can bring everything else to life. And then from that doing stage, set, set back, take that sacred pause, look at it from an outside perspective, see how can you bring something new to the game. And then if you've been in that sacred pause for a long time, let yourself dream, let yourself think big, let yourself not go, you know, you should never go from the kapha back to the pitta, right? Not from the taking the rest. Okay, now I'm back in it. The reason why you were burnt out in the first place is because a new idea needed to be birthed through. So trust that, be in that stage. Don't feel like I'm, I'm attached to this thing and I need to just keep doing it. Take that pause to let the idea channel through and then bring that to life. So it's this constant vata, pitta, kapha, idea, execution, reevaluation. And we're constantly moving through that compass with each and every one of our dharmas. Is there ever a time when an idea finds you and it's not for you? Mm, Absolutely. Sometimes ideas find you before you're ready for them you know, I'm going to do this in my lifetime, but now is not the time. Mm. And it does take a level of intuition to assess that. Because as we know, bringing something, you know, birthing a baby, for I example. That wasn't for me. <laughs> You're like, that could be a good idea, but is it? That would have been some nice That would have been some nice cash. <laughs> exactly. It's like, but is it like, do I want to commit to this thing? Like, you know, think of all the people you could be in a relationship with. Like, but do you want to be in a relationship? Totally do, do you yes. want to do the whole thing with them? Like, you know, probably, probably not. So sometimes you have these ideas that you're like, okay, I, mean, I know I'm going to do this in my lifetime, but like maybe in 10 years or something like that. And some things you're like, okay, I could see myself living this other life, but this isn't the one that I want to live because again, we have free will. Like we could take a totally different path and it's still be in alignment with our dharma, but we get to really choose. And Mm. sometimes this thought scares people. What if I choose the wrong thing? 
What if I choose the wrong mm-hmm. thing? I end up in a totally different direction and I missed my ship, right? But then it comes the level of trust, of trusting that the thing that you're the most excited about and the thing that's showing up for you, the path that's like continuing to pave right before you is the one that you're meant to be on now. And when something is meant to show up for you, that path will reveal. Mm. And usually that path takes you closer to the other path. Uh, it's your training for it. You need to do training for it. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Justin always has so many ideas that are not for him that he gets that I'm like, that idea is not for you. I'm like, that all <laughs> probably milk has company like a very is open not for you. Crush, <laughs> some microdosing mushrooms. That's um, probably right. Yeah. Which also is helping. I wanted to talk about um, why this is so important for the collective. Why being, mm-hmm. especially right now, with everything going on, like what I'm perceiving to see or seeing is that people are in such survival mode that they don't feel like they have the right to find their dharma or they don't feel like it's the right time to find their dharma because we've had such a traumatic year. Mm. So we can look at, again, the obstacles of this year and look at them from the perspective of why did this happen to me? It knocked me totally off. This year sucked. I just need to get back to whatever my life was before. Or this happened to the collective for a reason, one that my human mind can't understand at this moment. So again, looking at it from, you just got knocked off the pitta, right? Are you going to try to get right back into the game? Or are you going to use this chance to not go back to the same job you hated, not go back to the same roles or the same um, experiences that you were so unhappy with before? And really ask yourself, what is the opportunity for this time? What ideas can come through? How can I pivot, even if it's just an inch? So when I do step back into something, it can be more in alignment with my truth because life is not just 2020, guys. This is gonna keep happening in different ways for different people. Obstacles are part of our soul's curriculum. So again, we can choose the perspective to learn from it, to let this be feedback from our soul of, okay, this felt good, this didn't. Here's how I'm gonna pivot and shift. And by the way, living your dharma doesn't mean like this year you're gonna like make it on a billboard or or even that it has to look like you being an entrepreneur or you being the face of a brand or Finding something like that. Finding your dharma is more followers, I think, right? <laughs> more having a million yeah. likes. Yeah, or your, <laughs> your dharma. But I think, again, we live in this society that I share about in the book that we celebrate certain types of dharmas. We celebrate yeah. like the person who shoots hoops or has an amazing voice. And these are all wonderful gifts to have. The entertainer. But yeah, the the entertainer. Why? Because the most eyes have viewed them. So we perceive if the most number of people are looking to them, it must be the most important thing. But your dharma might be to have amazing dinner parties and like make people feel totally at home or to have really deep conversations with people and like understand the truth of what it is they're going through or to be deep in research and understand things that most people would, you know, just skim over. Like, you know, and I break them down into the archetypes, but I think what people don't realize is your dharma isn't to look like one version of success. And no matter what obstacles you've experienced this year, it has been catered for you. It has been catered for you to further take that feedback and move it to go into alignment. And that alignment could just be choosing a different job. It could be leaving a relationship. It could be moving. It could be not having the same types of conversation. It could be doing healing work. It could be all of these things. It doesn't have to necessarily be like starting your own business by any means. But if we don't take this year and pivot, that's just a reflection of us. Mm-hmm. So true. And like the collective Dharma, so it's to raise consciousness. And I can assume that it could be out of balance. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or like ascend. Yeah. Ascend I wonder or, would ascend be the same as raising consciousness? 
awaken to our own consciousness? Yeah. So, you know, this word ascend is pretty interesting because there's kind of like this in spirituality, this like more new age, like vocabulary. And it's very focused on ascension, rising, raising, you know, even like highest self would be more of like that, like newer age vocabulary, which Mm -hmm. I also vibe with. And then there's like the ancient, which is more like embodying and and grounding and remembering. So I think we're at this really beautiful Mm. time where the two are coming together Mm. of how can we ascend into being? How can we, instead of find, become? How can we remember? How can we unlock? How can we unravel? And for me, it was really helpful to think of it that way because I always felt like spirituality or becoming a better person was like, again, climbing this ladder and becoming something that I'm not already. But especially as as women, if you're listening to this or anyone that resonates with the feminine, it's connecting to the body, connecting to what the body already knows. Mm -hmm. And I like to think of it as, we were born knowing exactly what our purpose is. You were born knowing your mission, knowing your gifts, knowing everything that it is you were born with, but you agreed to a temporary amnesia. And that temporary amnesia you needed because you wouldn't be able to do life. Like you, the universe and expansion that you are wouldn't fit into your human body if you knew how limitless that you were. So we agreed to this temporary amnesia so we can remember, so we can grow, so we can come back to what it is that we are. So I think that this is really helpful, especially when you're totally confused because it's not so much about striving as it is about embodying. Mm -hmm. And just the piece on like balancing. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering like if in, as like a world society, if everyone was in balance, would it all work together perfectly? to raise consciousness or whatever we want, we want to call it. Yeah. I mean, I like to think of it like The Sims. <laughs> Did you guys play The Sims growing yes. up ever? Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Weirdo per. <laughs> I was doing work on trail. <laughs> I did that too. I did that at school only. Yes, that's yeah. true. But you know, it's like, you could think of source as like designing us as the unique Sims. So in the Sims, you could be like, okay, they're going to be this much like outgoing, organized, like flirty, like whatever it is you wanted to design them like. So you were designed exactly as the Sims that you were meant to be in this in this life. So if everyone fully operated like their unique Sims, the world would come into balance. So when I would play the Sims, I would purposely make someone who was like super organized and like antisocial because I just wanted her to clean. <laughs> <laughs> And then I would like, I would like make people into the exact roles that they like needed to be. And if you can think of it as that's what source is doing. It's like, we need the people who are super organized and like they get off on that, you know? Mm -hmm. And we need the people who are like these creative geniuses and the people who are really in their hearts and the people who are really in in the research because the world can only come into balance in this way. It's like, imagine if we all performed at a talent show and we all did, oops, I did it again. Like that would be so boring. Like we all did the same moves, the same costume. Like it would be fun for the first three times maybe. And then we're like, yeah. screw this. So we live in this world that like looks at like the red rose and we're like, the red rose, we all gotta be the red rose. It's like, no, you're a lily, you're a lotus, you're a daisy, you're you're sage, your ayahuasca, you know, you're all of these different things. So why are we all, yeah. (laughs) And and that's where it grows from, you know, and it's all beautiful and it's all needed. And if we could trust that and embody that, we actually wouldn't have poverty. We wouldn't have disparity. If you think about the times of the village, if you were like, I love silversmithing. There was like a silversmith you could apprentice with. If you're like, I love herbs, you could be the medicine woman. You could be the warrior. You could be the basket weaver. Like there was a place for everyone and the village supported each other with that. So in this time, we 
because of our society have chosen to only focus and validate and monetarily compensate certain roles and then other roles like motherhood, et cetera, are not. So we're all trying to fit into these because of survival when really the only way that we're able to get past this is to create a society that all of these different roles are celebrated and honored because all of them are truly needed. Yeah, it's just our our like culture worship. Like Mm -hmm. we just are like distraction and culture worshipers. So it's like, most kids right now want to be YouTube stars. Right. It's like 90% of kids say they want to be like a YouTube star. And it's because we're so distracted by things and that's where we see and place our values. So no one really, everyone's so far from their dharma because we're just in this trance. Of, and we don't get to, we're, we're so far from the village that we don't see other people. All, yes. Like the mom just hands me an iPad and I'm on there and I see YouTube stars. So I see this person is happy, they're successful, I want to be happy and successful. So if that means I'm a YouTube star, I'll be a YouTube star. Whereas back in the day, you'd kind of walk around and see all these people doing different things and they were all happy and in their purpose too. So you were able to see it could look like so many different ways. Not to say that YouTube or social media is hindering. In some ways, it's also on that YouTube channel, you're seeing different people. Someone's a dog whisperer, someone's you know a plant care person. So you are seeing different roles, but what the shift is, it all has turned into media mm-hmm. and has all turned into showing it for other people. And some people are the teacher that is one of the archetypes, but not everyone is. So as we are entering into this new paradigm, which we're fully in, I think everyone can feel it now. And we are creating different types of societies and collectives that we're able to share our gifts and not have it be something that's like necessarily put on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Does Vedic astrology, last question for me, Vedic astrology explain anything that's going on right now? Have Mm. you like dug into that? Of course. I mean, you know, I think all astrological systems, including even the Gene Keys writes about this, but 2020 to 2027 is the time of the shift. It's these seven years. So we're just the first year in. Um, The first three years is going to be the most intense because it's the most in terms of destruction. So in this whole time period is called Kali Yuga. So Kali Yuga is the time of chaos, destruction, breaking apart the old system. Different Vedic astrologers will tell you different dates that it ended. Some say it's already ended. Some say it's going to be for another thousand years or so. Some people say it's ending right now. So kind of the dates are a little bit because it's the constellations in the skies. It's a bit hard to know when it ends, but we can all feel we're, we're, we're exiting this Kali Yuga right now. So for example, in, um, in the I Ching and Gene Keys, which is a, a Chinese system, they say that around 2023, 2024 is when it shifts into from the destruction energy into the building energy as a collective. However, we as unique souls are volunteers and many of us, and I'm assuming a lot of people listening to this podcast right now are here to build that new paradigm. So while the world is focused on destruction destruction and, and canceling and whatever else it is, that's not our dharmas to do right now. It's actually our time to really focus on building what it is that we want to create in this new paradigm. So when everything is burnt to the ground figuratively, we are able to say, okay, well, we've already created these new education systems, these new types of homes, these new types of relate, ways of relating and being, et cetera. So you get to decide, do you want to be part of the destruction or part of the creation? Mm. Powerful. So good. Your book is so good. I was so happy when I was leafing through it. I love like how it's so you, like you can hear Mm -hmm. your voice in it. 
And it's just so easy to understand. And I just, I'm so proud of you. This is like Truly. really amazing. And I'm so excited for our community to listen. You've been on the pod two times, I think. Mm-hmm. There's two other episodes you guys can listen to. And then we're going to be on the High Self Podcast, as you guys know. Um, can you tell everyone where to get the book? Yeah. So whenever you're listening to this, you can get it on IamSaharRose.com slash Dharma. You'll be able to download extra freebies like the Dharma embodiment practice and tapping and meditation, et cetera. And um, I also have a Dharma archetype quiz that you can do that will tell you what your unique Dharma archetype is. By the way, I'll just share yours briefly. Mm -hmm. Lindsay's definitely (laughs) artist, visionary, entertainer, entrepreneur. Krista is visionary, teacher, entrepreneur, also entertainer. Um, and I mean, we all have all of the archetypes in very in varying amounts, but the book has like a full-on assessment that you mm-hmm. can take and the Dharma archetype quiz will give you a little, a little tasty taste. What are you? I'm visionary, teacher, yes. artist, entrepreneur, activist. But oh, also your, your shadow aspects. Like when I was younger, I was so in my activist, but it was my shadow aspect of feeling like I needed to save the world. So yes. different times of your life, different different archetypes can pop up. And then when mm. you do healing, it can even shift. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. Yes. All right, guys, enjoy the book. We will see you on the next one. Thanks, girl. Bye. Thanks so much, Sahara, our sweet, sweet Sahara. She's actually been on the pod two other times. So if you want to search Sahara Rose, Almost 30, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find other episodes we've done together. And don't forget about Camp Almost 30 happening on January 16th, 10 to 2.30 p.m. Pacific. It's free and it's going to be our favorite healers, teachers, all the things. So go to almost30.com for more information and register for free today. And thank you so much to our sponsors. As you all know, if you've been listening for a long time, we only work with brands that we love and respect and are excited to share with you. So for this For this episode, we want to thank Nutribullet, BetterHelp, Function of Beauty, and Saqqara. You can see and use all of the discount codes and links in our show notes, as well as on almost30.com under the partnerships tab. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening and happy new year. Let's do this thing, you know? Let's do it. We love you guys. We'll see you soon. Love you.